Chasing the Light. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. Hello to everyone who are first-time listeners this week. Thank you so much for joining in. I want to start by providing an update for my nine-week post-op recovery process. I am currently feeling a little bit of irritation in my surgery eye because I still have a stitch that's kind of protruding out of my eyes. I can now see that coming out of my eye. And it's been, you know, causing a little bit of burning and just some irritation when my eyelid is kind of flickering it. And um, it's really kind of been bothering me for the last couple of weeks. And I thought it was still in there, but um, now I know for sure that it is. And unfortunately, I don't go back to Philadelphia until um, the second week of December for my 90-day post-op assessment, so I won't be able to get any relief unless it, you know, comes out on its own until that point. But as far as any new vision updates in terms of an improvement in my vision, I don't have anything new other than, you know, the clarity and the definition I did go into Walmart for the first time, and if you're a regular listener to the podcast journal, you know that Walmart is quite tricky for me for um, the lighting in there, and, you know, so I went in there for the first time since my surgery, and I still have issues with the lighting in there, and I'm still having some issues in terms of transitioning from bright, sunny outside into, you know, dimly lit um, inside. So that hasn't changed much um, from before the surgery until now. But we're hopeful that things continue to progress and, you know, for anything that I don't lose any more vision than I've already lost um, over the course of my life. So that's kind of where we are as of today, nine week post-op. But this week I wanted to focus on something a little different. I wanted to kind of use this opportunity to address some of like the misconceptions and myths um, of blindness. And I did this at the Bowling Over Blindness fundraiser event that my family and I hosted back in March. Um, We had hosted this event to raise awareness in the community in regards to blindness, as well as to raise funds for the foundation fighting blindness for this um, critical research research, um, for the IRD world. So one of the things that we did at the Bowling Over Blindness is that every 15 minutes we would read some kind of fact and, you know, share it to raise awareness and educate at the event. You know, we had everyone coming in to learn about blindness and to celebrate, you know, the blindness and to um, raise the funds for the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Um, But we also wanted to educate. So 
I wanted to kind of share my personal experiences with some of these misconceptions and just kind of share from the point of view of someone who does live with blindness as well as you know my interactions with students as I was a teacher of the blind and visually impaired. So the first misconception, and this is a big one, um, some people think that blindness means that you see nothing at all or that you just see total blackness. And as you know, I hope our regular listeners have learned over the course of this podcast journal, blindness is a spectrum. And to be legally blind, you have to have a um, BCVA, which is the best corrective visual acuity of 2200 or less. So you know, essentially, you could have a a decent amount of vision and still be legally blind. Um, And I say decent amount of vision because my um, visual acuity is is way, way worse, like in the 2600s and those types of things. So 2200 sounds pretty good to me personally. Um, But it is a spectrum. And some people who are considered totally blind, you know, report that they don't necessarily see blackness. I mean, some people may see blackness. Um, They say um, less than 10% of people who are considered blind actually see blackness totally. Um, some people report a, a gray or brown haze. Some people can see light, um, you know, so if they're going in different areas and the light changes, they, they're able to perceive that. Um, but only less than 10% of people considered legally blind um, have no light perception. So that is one misconception that um, society has formed uh, in regards to blindness. Um, Another one is that when you lose your sight, um, that your other senses become sharper. And, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of something that you might see in movies or um, just different TV shows, those types of things that, you know, if you're blind, you have like all these other like heightened sense senses. However, um, in my personal experience, I, you know, tend to look at it as I am using my senses, my other senses more intentionally. So, you know, it's not that my hearing is better. It's just that I rely on my hearing more. So I'm more attentive, you know, when I'm listening to things. So it's not necessarily that my hearing is like 10 times better. I have this um, superior level of hearing or that my smells better it's just that I am using those other senses and more tapped into those other senses um, than you know a typically sighted individual because I'm not getting all this visual stimuli coming in um, as you know typically sighted individuals are gaining information constantly through vision well if you don't have a lot of vision then you you know you're going to kind of be forced to use your other senses so that's another misconception that Um, society has put on uh, blindness. Another misconception is that blind people can't live alone. Like they can't do anything independently. 
And, you know, through my personal experience, I did live alone and, and, you know, navigated independently when I was in college and prior to meeting my husband, Zach. You know, I didn't have transportation or anything, so I wa- I I lived close enough to campus that I could walk to campus and walk, you know, to different parts of the city where I lived in. And, you know, now even it's it's a lot easier for blind people to live independently because you have Uber, you have, you know, different types of things. We'll bring your groceries, like if you live far away, um, we'll bring your delivery of food, um, you know, and of course there's definitely an, a more of an awareness for public transportation for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. So that's definitely a misconception. I think that goes back to even biblical times, the way that blind people were portrayed in the Bible as like beggars, you know, pretty much couldn't do anything. And, you know, that's simply just, that's not, that's not true. That's not the case. Um, There are many motivated and driven, you know, blind individuals who, you know, I, highly respect and inspired by who hold, you know, amazing jobs, who are lawyers, um, very much independent, um, successful individuals. So that is definitely a misconception about blindness from society. Another is that all people who are blind use a white cane or a guide dog. Um, And, you know, I've talked about this before in previous entries. I only started using a white cane when I started working as a teacher of the blind and visually impaired. And I mainly did that for personal identification so that I didn't have to explain to everyone every time I interacted with someone like that I couldn't see well and, um, you know, this is this is why I can't see well and go through the whole you know issue whereas if I just walk around with a white cane um it's you know personal identification people are like oh she's blind and that kind of brings another misconception um that anyone who has a white cane or a guide dog is totally blind and can't see anything um and that's a misconception you know we have already touched on how blindness is a spectrum and you know the white cane can be used for different reasons at different times um for me it was personal identification also it helped me when i was transitioning from different types of lighting Um, but some people can adjust their eyes and they don't need their white cane whenever they get their eyes adjusted Um, i've shared the story on the podcast journal before that there was a girl in my um, one of my classes that I was taking at George Mason University, and she used a white cane as she transitioned into a department store. And as she got in there and her eyes adjusted, she folded up her cane and she put it away. And she heard people kind of talking amongst themselves saying, oh, I thought she was blind. She must have been faking it. She doesn't even need her cane. Like, and, you know, things like that. So um, not all people who are blind use a white cane um and you know not all people who are blind 
need a white cane or maybe they do and they're not ready to use it. Um, you know, not all people use a guide dog. I don't have a guide dog. The white cane and the guide dogs, they do two totally different things. And we can get into that um, another entry, but um, they're for two different reasons. And um, it's just something that I've always kind of struggled with with the white cane because, you know, you, you, I can see, and it's hard to explain to people, like, yes, I, I'm blind, but I can see, like, because it's, it's just such a misconception related to using a cane or a guide dog. Another misconception is that blindness means that your job options are limited. And I'd have to disagree with this as well. Um, I have met a lot of successful blind individuals in various different fields. Um, you know, I think this is kind of the old school thought process. I would hope that we're, you know, kind of moving away from that. And that's definitely one of my goals um, with this podcast journal is to kind of educate and advocate um, in regards to blindness. And I think personally that with all of this opportunity for remote work this kind of is perfect for the blindness community because one of the greatest challenges for blind and low vision individuals is transportation and that's definitely a hold up in terms of you know finding employment however now we have this whole remote working realm and you know it's definitely made it a lot easier for individuals who are blind or visually impaired to find employment and be able to contribute. Um, but many individuals who are blind or visually impaired prefer to go and be out in, you know, the workforce and in actual offices and doing different things and interacting with other members of society. Um, so I think that there's equal opportunity involved in that and we're not limited. I know that for me, um, I prefer the remote working environment just because of the fact that I live in a rural area and I don't have um, means of transportation. So, you know, as I am serving as a um, blind and visual impairment graduate program assistant for my former instructor at George Mason University, I've appreciated being able to work from home and still contribute to the field and um, not have to rely on that transportation aspect of it all. So I would say that is definitely a misconception. Um, another misconception is people who are blind, uh, they don't, they don't use most technology and I have to disagree with that as well because, you know, even back in the nineties when I was going through school, technology at that time was introduced to me, you know, very, very early on in my K-12 education. I mean, I was learning how to use a computer. I was learning how to type. I was learning how to use Zoom text when that became available, which is a magnification program. Um, Kurzweil Reader, uh, JAWS, like they're screen readers. And I was using, you know, those 90s and 2000s version um, and having instruction on that as I was going through school. And um, 
you know, even now, like there's so much technology and that is what, you know, blind and visually impaired students and um, em employees, you know, adults are really heavily relying on and, and very efficient while using it. Like voiceover on um, the iPad or the iPhone and, you know, different screen reader options and different applications. There's one called Be My Eyes. And for that, you know, individuals could be traveling independently, blind individuals traveling independently, going into the airport and flying independently. And they can open up this app called Be My Eyes and there's somebody, you know, on the other end of the app, like a camera that they can see where they're at and kind of tell the blind individual, like, you have to move forward and go to this gate and this and that. So they're they're literally their eyes or they're shopping in the grocery store and they can't see what the can says and, you know, the canned vegetable aisle or whatever. And these people can read it for them. So I think technology... Um, is used quite frequently uh, amongst the blind and visually impaired community. And it, it definitely builds a bridge for them. And, you know, I know for me, I, I, I rely on it very heavily as I'm, you know, using different Zoom or voiceover, um, you know, all kinds of different technology. And, and so it's definitely a misconception that we can't use assistive technology. Another misconception is that blind people have superior hearing, and I had kind of touched on that. Um, and this also kind of goes along with that um, blind people need to be spoken to very loudly, or they won't know that you're addressing them. Like, I have had this happen so many times, and at first I'd get annoyed about it, but now I just kind of laugh to myself about it um people see the white cane and they come up to you and just start screaming at you and it's like okay like i can hear just fine you don't have to you know be yelling in my face and the fact that i can see them and how awkward they look as they're like approaching and um you know talking so loudly and everything so it's it's quite comical to me now um but it is something that I try and educate people on that, you know, we don't have to speak louder to individuals who are blind. And actually, you know, as a teacher of the blind and visually impaired, I had students who who really minded loud noises. It's quite startling um, when you can't see well and someone's like coming up to you and just starts screaming out of nowhere in your face. Um, so it's definitely something that you know need to consider when you're interacting with someone who is blind or visually impaired uh, one one thing that i really liked i had a um, really great colleague who um, i had the privilege of working with for a few years as a teacher um, she actually one time asked me after we had gotten to know each other pretty well she asked me she and she did a really great job about doing this you know mo moving forward after we had this conversation but she's like you know 
Lindsay, do you like when somebody approaches you and lets you know, you know, who it is whenever you're talking to them? Or do you get to know their voices so that you can distinguish them, you know, yourself without them having to tell you every time? I said, honestly, like no one's ever asked me that before, but it's really nice when people approach me and say, hey, Lindsay, it's, you know, so-and-so, whatever their name is. And that way I know who I'm talking to every time because, like, yeah, maybe sometimes I might recognize your voice, but maybe other times it might be loud. Or, you know, maybe sometimes I might notice who you are by my vision, but maybe the lighting's bad the next time and I can't. So it's just a really nice, consistent way to kind of, you know, approach someone who is blind or visually impaired and let them know that you're there in a normal voice and, and like who's talking to them. And, um, you know, this is something that I always tried to teach the students and teachers who were working with my students who, you know, had very limited vision. Another misconception is that all blind people read Braille, and that is not the case. Obviously, um, I'm a testament to that. I was a print reader. I still am a print reader. I know Braille. I taught Braille, um, but I didn't learn Braille until, you know, the last few years, and I'm definitely not a fluent Braille reader, but you would definitely consider me blind. Um, so there's different literacy medias and, um, you know, some individuals who are blind may read Braille and print, just, you know, Braille for certain things like math or science um, because of symbols and things that they might, you know, use in large print for something else. Um, some individuals might listen to audiobooks and it's all determined. It should all be determined whenever a child is starting school and they go through something called a um, literacy media assessment. And that's whenever the student or child is assessed to see what their primary liter literacy medium is. Um, and you do that like through different observations to see if they're using their vision the most, if, they, if they're using their um, hands to feel things the most, or if they're, you know, using their auditory senses to hear. And then, you know, the teachers determine and make recommendations and like, okay, this, this student, you know, sh should we recommend Braille for this student? Um, we would recommend like a combination of both for the student or all three. Um, so that's definitely a misconception because I went most of my life so far without knowing Braille and, um, I definitely had a progressive vision loss disease and, you know, should have been recommended to be reading Braille um, as we do as teachers of the blind and visually impaired. If a child has a progressive vision loss disease, we do always recommend Braille services for that child. Um, but again, with technology, with all the different resources of, of um, you know, ways to read now, it's that's definitely a misconception. Not all blind people know Braille or use Braille as their primary reading. Another is that another misconception is that most blind people go to private special schools. And that's really not the case. I mean, there are still like deaf and blind schools um, in each state. However, you know, 
we have definitely gone into the realm of mainstreaming and, you know, being inclusive of all students with um, disabilities and especially, you know, our blind and visually impaired students. As a teacher of the blind and visually impaired, I witnessed firsthand students being um, in the general education population and classroom. I I pushed in with students in the general education classroom. And, you know, this is this is how it used to be. I mean, there were many times that students, you know, throughout history who were blind, they would go to these schools. And um, that's just not the case anymore. I mean, people still do go to these schools, but it certainly isn't like all blind people go to a special school. And another misconception is that um, blind individuals count steps, and that is how they figure out where they're going and navigate. And this just isn't the case either. Um, counting steps is something that society has kind of believed about blind people who are using a cane and, you know, orienting and navigating and it's not a way that we as blind people like can count on and rely on um, as the best way to figure things out and to know where we're going. Um, we use things like landmarks um, and our landmarks are, are things that like never move. And we use contact, we use different clues and everything as we're going down a hallway, like the way something might sound, um, you know, the way the, the light is kind of shining in to kind of know where we're at. Uh, we might use something as a door as a landmark, but you can't just like count 10 steps and that's, you know, you're going to know you're where you're at. Like, that's not how we drive cars. Um, we don't count how many times the tire goes around to know how to get from my house to the grocery store. Like, so that's not how blind people go and navigate through society. Um, there are so many different misconceptions, and I've had some really strange, um, awkward interactions with with people, adults mainly, honestly, um, especially when I was a teacher and out amongst uh, everyone every day. Um, I, I definitely had questions from students and everything, and when it's coming from, you know, students, and I'm not talking about the students that I taught, I'm talking about, like, the other students who saw me. When it was coming from them, um, I, I really just did my best to try and educate them and not hold it against them, some of the things that they would ask, um, because I knew it would be better for the community that I was in, for the students that I taught, um, if I explained to them and shared, you know, the answers to these questions that they asked me. Um, but the adults, <laughs> I... It was hard sometimes to bite my tongue, just being completely honest with you, um, because, you know, I had adults who I uh, went into different schools and everything, um, and some adults, you know, worked there and got to know me and this and that and these different schools, and I guess they got comfortable enough to ask me questions like, 
Um, do you dress yourself in the morning? Like, I just think it's so amazing that you come out of your house and come to work. And like, you know, I just, when I hear things like that, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, I'm just a person just like you. Like, I have a job and yes, I dress myself. And, um, you know, no, like my husband doesn't pick out my clothes for me. I pick out my own clothes. Um, so just th some of the strange things that I have kind of dealt with, but that kind of shows the lack of knowledge and the misconceptions that society, you know, has about blindness. Another time, you know, I was in, this has happened two different times at the grocery store. Um, the first time was a couple years ago, and it was before I started using my white cane. And I had my grocery list, just like any other normal person going to the grocery store, I had my grocery list, and I was reading it. Well, for me to be able to read my own handwriting, I have to bring the grocery list up to my face and, you know, distinguish what I wrote. And there was an individual there who was, you know, putting out new groceries or produce or whatever, and she came up to me and was like, I think you need glasses. You got that paper way up to your face. And I was like, well, I wish glasses would work, but I'm actually blind. So, you know, I had that happen to me there. And then years later, just actually, it was just last spring, I think it was, I was in the grocery store. I had my cane. Okay, it was visible in my hand, and I was doing the same thing, trying to look at something and read it, and some guy comes down the aisle and is like, I, I think you need glasses, and then, you know, Zach, when he hears this stuff, he gets mad about it, because he's like, he's like, well, she's blind, so glasses aren't going to work, so I would say that that's another misconception, that people think that, you know, if you can't see well, that glasses will fix it, and honestly, I would have to say that, like, at this point, if I hadn't tried glasses to fix my blindness, like, there's something wrong with me. Like, obviously, glasses don't work, or I would have done that, you know, almost 35 years ago if they were effective. Um, and, you know, there's just so many. Like, I could literally write a book about the weird interactions and things that, that I've had with adults, um, you know, just very inappropriate things that they just feel like they have to come and say, um, you know, I would hope that most people wouldn't go up to somebody who is, you know, in a wheelchair and say something, you know, to them. So I don't understand why when I have a white cane, it kind of opens the door up for, um, people to just basically just say whatever comes to their mind. So, you know, I've tried to educate. Um, I definitely have focused on students um, at, whenever I was out in the schools and everything because I got a lot of questions from students and I use that as an opportunity to kind of better the next generation so that we don't have adults who think that they can come up to blind people and say inappropriate things. Um, you know, I have a specific memory in my head of a student that I worked with um, for several years as a teacher of the blind and visually impaired. And um, the student used a cane and everything, and there was some rambunctious little student who came up and just started pulling my student's cane and, and kind of 
in in the direction of where my student needed to go but this kid took a hold of my student's cane and I was like I really had to like bite my tongue for that because like with with kids and stuff like you know I get it they don't they don't really know but that like that kid needed to learn like you don't go and pull someone's white cane like that's that's a big no-no and if you want to help you need to ask the student you know ask my student so-and-so would you like some help or whatever and this goes for adults too like you can always approach a blind person and ask them like if they need any assistance and they'll tell you yes or no and if they do then you can help you get well how may i help you like you know don't just assume that they need help because they're blind um but do offer if they they appear to be struggling in some way and they'll you know kindly or respectfully decline or accept and that's something that i was kind of used that as a teaching moment when that happened with my student because my student was just letting it happen because you know my student is learning too and that was a time where i had to kind of stop both of them and explain to the one student who was pulling on the cane like no you don't ever touch a cane like if you want to help you can ask you know so and so do you need any help or or can i help you in some way and then i showed that student how to be a human guide for my student if you know it was ever needed and then i also used it as a teaching moment for my student to advocate for yourself like if someone's putting their hand on your cane you know you can kindly and respectfully say no thank you don't touch my cane or i've got it or you know whatever but it it just seems like society kind of just thinks that they can do whatever they want or say whatever they want um, about or to blind people. Um, and it's it gets a little frustrating. So um, that was definitely one of the things that I do miss about being a teacher of the blind and visually impaired because, you know, although it was frustrating at times dealing with you know, different things that are said to me or about me um, or different interactions I had, I really did feel like it was meaningful to be out there and use my life as an example and to educate those who were around me. Um, I loved the teachers who really embraced my students and who really embraced me um, throughout my time when I was a teacher. You know, they really made it their part to create an inclusive environment. Um, you know, I'm thinking of two situations in particular where I was asked to come into two different classrooms um, last year and speak about blindness and, you know, share my experience with blindness and also, you know, take questions from the students. And that was nerve wracking for me, like to not know what the kids were going to ask me and everything. But I will tell you that in both of those situations, in both of those classrooms, I had a classroom full of fifth graders. One of them was the, the fifth grade class was actually my son Lucas's class. Um, so I was super nervous about that when I went in and talked there. Um, and then another was third graders and um those students asked the most thoughtful respectful kind honest questions that you know i would have never i would have never suspected it like i really didn't know what i was saying yes to um i had prepared myself that you might get some questions that 
you know, might hurt your feelings or whatever. And I had already decided like I wasn't going to be offended by any of them because they're all just kids. But I didn't get one question that was, you know, rude or inappropriate or anything. Those kids were thoughtful and, you know, kind and respectful. And it really gave me hope for the generation that is coming up. I know, you know, people say about these kids, these generations coming and everything that they're, um, you know, that they're, everything's going downhill and this and that. Um, but I know as a teacher, my experience with the kids, um, I, you know, I loved them and I found a great community in the schools when I worked with them. And I like to think that I was a part of, you know, helping them have more sympathy and compassion and educating them as they still continue to interact with my students who are blind and visually impaired um, and kind of address some of those misconceptions and myths with them at a young age so they can grow up into adults and, you know, be good, contributing, um, sympathetic, compassionate members of society um, as opposed to, you know, older generations that I feel like did not have the resources um, to learn about, you know, individuals with disabilities and, you know, specifically blindness and visual impairments. So it it has been quite the journey. Um, <laughs> there's not many times that like something doesn't happen when I go out in public that I kind of take my head about in my head or roll my eyes um I'm I'm thinking of a time that Zach and I were somewhere and we were in a situation where you had to um go around and greet other people and shake their hand and everything um and there was an individual who stuck out their hand um below my visual fields and looked at Zach and said oh, she's not a handshaker, is she? And Zach was like, well, she's actually blind, so she doesn't even see your hand. Um, so it's just, there's always some sort of weird, awkward interaction. Um, and that's one more thing. I, I do want to say this for anyone that's listening. People who are blind and visually impaired have a voice, so it is not appropriate to talk to the person they may be with about them as if they cannot respond so like that instance where this individual looked at zach and said oh she's not a handshaker is she like when that kind of stuff happens zach usually says well you can ask her or you know she's standing right here like he redirects that whoever you know is speaking about me in front of me um he redirects them to to me and that's something that i used to do um as a teacher when other children would come up to me and talk to me or ask me questions about my student when my student's sitting right there i'm like well you can ask so and so like they're sitting right here like you know it's it's just a common respect and to see someone who is blind you know be the same and be a part of society you know we can talk we can talk um we might not be able to see perfectly or very well but we have a voice so you may address us and we can talk to you um but yeah like i just wanted to get on here and kind of use this as a time to educate zach and i have had some 
weird and awkward interactions pretty recently um, in terms of, you know, my vision condition and everything. And it just put it on my mind and my heart. Um, and, you know, and I don't get on here by any means to try and scold or, you know, be like an angry blind person. That's not what I'm trying to do because a lot of it I just laugh off. Um, but I do think about like those littles that I worked with as a teacher and, you know, what I'm trying to create um, in terms of our community and the world around um, to make it better for them and not so they don't have to hear like the things that I've been asked or have the kind of interactions like I have had. Um, and I think that's what we're to do as older generations is kind of make it better for the next generation. So I truly appreciate you listening today. I hope I wasn't on my soapbox too much and I really hope that I didn't come off as you know a fussy blind person um but I do think it's really important to address these kind of misconceptions and myths um because blind people haven't always been portrayed as the best um in movies or tv and I think that kind of has stuck into um people's minds and created stereotypes and I hope that this kind of alleviated some of that. So I appreciate you all so much for listening and following along. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey and listening in again this week. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.